Welcome back to J. Tom Lawler Rink at Merrimack College. The score at the end of two is UConn three, Merrimack two. The Huskies coming up with three goals in that period. Two of them from Joachim Kondalik. And the score as a result is three to two Huskies at the end of the second period of play. I'm Mike Macknick alongside John Leahy. And tonight's second intermission is brought to you by Merrimack Graduate Studies. At Merrimack, you can earn your master's degree in as little as one year. Choose from graduate programs in business, education, engineering, health sciences, criminology, and so much more, visit merrimack.edu backslash graduate. That's merrimack.edu backslash graduate today for all the details. Well, our guest here, second intermission, is Mark Bellotta from neutralzone.net. He is the head scout, uh, New England, and director of uh, Mass Neutral Zone, and uh, well, Mark, first of all, uh, first period, maybe not too much of a surprise. UConn a bit rusty after their layoff. Hadn't played for, two, for a couple of weeks there. Uh, Merrimack came out and really put a lot of pressure on, came up with the one goal. In hindsight, maybe needed to get more than the one goal because in the second period, uh, after weathering the storm, UConn was able to be optimistic on one or two plays, but also, you know, real nice play, uh, especially uh, the, the second and the third goal there. Uh, they end up getting the two back-to-back goals in less than a minute to turn a 2-1 deficit into a 3-2 lead and now with a chance to UConn to try to get two points on the road, which is always big when you can do that in the front end of a home-and-home going back home, as UConn will be doing on Sunday against Merrimack. Exactly, and it's a tale of two periods in a lot of ways because you had a massive shot disparity for Merrimack in that first period. I think it was, what, 17-3 to or something in that area, and then, you know, in the second period, uh, you know, they didn't quite put their foot all the way down to the floor in terms of stepping on the gas, and uh, UConn used a lot of uh, unforced errors in order to get back into the game, and they now lead it 3-2, to and a couple of nice goals from uh, Condolink, who's a National Predators draft pick, and he's looked pretty solid in this game. You know, big kid, lumbers around the ice, but when he needs to really make a move, he can move. So let's talk about scouting then. I mean, that's one of the things you see with UConn, and I know that they, they've been uh, very successful recruiting players out of Eastern Europe, but also, you know, very good players out of Eastern Europe, and guys that they've already had go on, you know, to the pros, and, and, and some guys that looks like that's their future as well. Most definitely, and a lot of those players, you know, it's it's one thing, I was actually just talking to some of the other folks at the other end of the press box, and they were talking about, boy, I can't remember seeing all this many draft picks for UConn, and they have quite a few drafted players on their roster, and, you know, one of the things that you notice is a lot of common connection points when you look at their roster. A lot of players who are born in Russia, players who are born in the Czech Republic, and you have a number of players who are all from New England prep hockey as well. Yeah. You have quite a few of those guys that they've been able to snag as opposed to what previously was previously only territory that BC or BU or the top programs would really lay claim to in Hockey East. That now is a thing of the past, and those prep players are starting to commit to all kinds of other schools. They're committing to Merrimack, they're committing to um, UNH, they're committing, com- committing to Connecticut. Uh, we, we see with you know a number of the it, it used to be that players from you know if it was uh, Europe like like uh, Sweden or Finland or what have you or even the, the occasional player was more occasional than it is now where it's happening more often the players from you know Russia or where have you it used to be that those players would come over here directly from those countries and then play that's not always the case now a lot of times they're coming over earlier you know uh, being proactive they that's their goal right you know. They may be from Russia, but they'd like to get a scholarship to play at a at a United States, you know, an American college, NCAA Division One, and use that as their their springboard to the NHL. Is, is that what you're seeing? That's what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times what happens is players that are coming from other countries, especially if they're looking to play college hockey, it's a very difficult thing to do to come directly 
originally from your country of origin and then playing in college hockey the next season. And that's not necessarily a, a, a comment on ability or anything like that. It's more about the NCAA clearinghouse. In order to clear that, you need to have some form of American or Canadian schooling, or if you have taken some kind of European schooling, you need to have played in the North in North America at some point and taking courses that are easy to relate back to an American college. And that's one of the things that's very, very difficult for those players coming in. And you see that all the time with those European players that they get stuck in the clearinghouse because those all, don't all translate one-to-one in terms of credits. Uh, so then, you know, are those players getting, uh, you know, is the, let's say, because uh, I know that the scouting takes place over in Europe, so, um, you know, are, are the, the NCAA schools, are they, are they, are they, are they catching these players when they come over here and play junior hockey, or is it that maybe they catch them in Sweden or Finland or whatever, and they, you know, and the player, you know, there's that mutual interest, and they say, okay, great, come on over here and play, you're a junior, and get all that other stuff in order, you know, and then come play for us. You know, it's interesting. I think every school goes about it a little bit differently, but one path I can say is, like, using Merrimack as an example, one of the things that you've seen recently, if they've brought in a lot of players from Sweden, Finland, you know, the Scandinavian countries, one of the things that they've been doing is looking at those players while they're in their native countries and playing well over there. And then what ends up happening is they come over here and they'll spend a season in, say, the NAHL or the USHL, spend their season there, and then they come into Division I hockey. And that's a very, very common path. Even if you're coming from the Czech Republic, Russia, wherever, sp- spending all your time over there and then developing here for a season, taking some, col- some college courses or something equivalent while you're there, and then going and bouncing over to an American college, a very, very common path nowadays. Yeah, it's been very interesting to see you know, what different schools have done you know, in terms of finding inroads and, and uh, you know, ways to build their program. I mean, I, I look at the talent on the UConn team and think, you know, if they keep these guys here in a couple of years, you know, where's this team going to be? And maybe the same thing for, for Merrimack as well, because their freshman class overall seems to be very, very strong. But what, uh, you know, before we have to let you go here, what, what's going on in the world of recruiting? You know, what are some, some of the big stories? Yeah, no, there's a lot. There's a lot that's been going on. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, especially if you've seen, you know, what's been going on most recently, um, there's a lot of talk around uh, Merrimack's recruit, Alex Jeffries. And, you know, it's one thing that a lot of people have been chatting about lately. And I think the big thing is, you know, they... He's been committed to Merrimack for about two years now, and it's one of the cases where when you have a player who is, you commit him, you know, the school obviously believes in him and believes in his ability, but what tends to happen with a lot of those players is they will get better over time, and what happens there is other schools start to take notice, and then they start paying more attention, doing things like making offers, attending their games, and things like that. So that story's really been percolating quite a bit, where other schools now are paying attention to him, giving him offers, giving him attention, and things like that. So now Merrimack is fighting against everyone else in order to keep him on their prospective roster before the NLI signing period begins, uh, National Letter of Intent, I should say. Signing period begins on November 14th, so it's basically a race to that date to see if he will stay committed to Merrimack. Yeah, so I mean, we were talking before the game, I mean, latest is, you know, that he is still committed, but I, I suppose, you know, with that date coming up, November 14th, that's the date that uh, play, these players can sign. Uh, I mean, would you look on that date to say, you know, if he is going to come to Merrimack and sign on that date, and, you know, I guess, you know, if he doesn't sign, probably means he's not. Yeah, I mean, the, the real thing is that you'll probably learn a lot, a lot in the two weeks preceding that, because a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of what happens tends to happen on social media with announcements of commitments and things of that nature, but at the same time, a lot of the groundwork is being laid at the moment for, you know, whether or not he's going to come in, whether or not he wants to go somewhere else. So I think a lot of that decision process is going on right now, and you may see some of that play out before the actual 
state itself. So all things to kind of consider before it actually happens. How's this being seen overall, I guess, you know, like if you're maybe uh, hearing from uh, different schools or whatever, folks at different schools, even off, off the record or whatever, I'm kind of, kind of curious as, as to how it's seen, especially whereas it seems like, you know, there's definitely been that you know, that overall, I guess, you know, push to try to keep the uh, the gentleman's agreement, but, uh, you know, then, then something like this happens. How, how, are, how is college hockey as a whole viewing this? Well, that's the thing is, like, I think everyone has a little bit of a different, um, a different spin on it because it depends what size of program you are, what conference you play in, where you are based in the country, what kind of threats that you have based on where you are, you know, in the part of the country. For example, if you're a Michigan or a Penn State or somewhere like that, you don't have the same threat of people leaving for the OHL that you do in somewhere like New England where, you know, those, those players would end up going to the QMJHL. Or if you're a school that's near, closer to the West Coast or like a Denver or some odd, they, those players might end up going to the WHL. So that's something that they consider when they're looking at either young recruiting or trying to get other kids that they can pull from other schools. And I think just in general with college hockey, the gentleman's agreement is something that's been talked about for a very long time, but I don't know that it's necessarily being really, it's not really being accepted practice anymore. It's just a matter of, you know, it's almost like currency where you have a player that's committing. And by the way, the players are doing this as well, where they're using this as, okay, I've committed to this school and that's my first real, a real foray into college hockey. Let's see if my play gets better, if I have a better opportunity down the road. So it's going both ways in that instance. Whether it's good or bad, I think a number of different schools have differing opinions on it. Yeah, the interesting thing too in this situation, it sounds like you know it's not coming from the player. It's you know that the player, as far as we know, is, is still you know committed, and uh, yeah, it makes it for a very interesting story. I agree, Mark. Thanks for joining us. We do have to take a break. Appreciate you coming on, and, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Most definitely. Looking forward to it. All right, Mark Villada from NutriZone.net has been our guest with the score UConn three, Merrimack two. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Warrior Hockey.